This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Scoop duck and high five. My name is Matt Bagley. Justin Hopkins is across the interwebs via Zoom call with me right now. And we talk about the ducks every week right here. Listen anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. I know you've answered this question before, but I can't remember the answer. J-Hop, when did you start gaining an interest in recruiting oh uh gosh so where are we we're at 2020 now and uh let's see here easiest way so T- cooper is 15 years old right. i i would have to say it was right about the time a little bit before he was born that i got interested in it so i would I, you know roughly 15 years is probably accurate to say okay but then, but then I really only followed it as like an observer, as like a fan for, gosh, maybe like a year and ended up kind of getting my first part-time, you know, writing, you know, one one article a week or whatever uh, type of a gig. And then uh, I'm going to be honest, that went from, you know, there to, you know, ba- basically being a, a, a co-publisher on on duck territory with Matt within, I mean, within like a year or so, it just, it really just kind of snowballed. Okay. So let's say just for the sake of snowballing here, 2005, does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. So from 2005 to now, why have the ducks changed? Like I, I read these headlines about five-star guys coming in and uh, reading Twitter. Husky fan thinks the sky is falling. Why has Oregon got better in the 15 years? Well, you know, uh, let's not mix things up. You know, winning is the is the first ingredient. If you're if you're putting together a recipe, winning's the first ingredient. Um, it's really hard for a program to go, you know, from not winning to winning to you know, winning on a consistent basis. And I, I really think that that has been at the forefront of where Oregon is at now. They've continued to build the brand and evolve the brand, you know, of, of the university. And this doesn't get in, in into Mario Cristobal and, and what's going on here right now. Just the evolution of going from a Rich Brooks to a Mike Bellotti to, you know, Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich. I think that you saw with those coaches, Rich Brooks, you know, somewhat peaked out. You saw Pilate come in, take the program another step in the right direction. Recruiting was a byproduct of that. It, it uh, you know, it got better, um, and it's really hard. So I guess at that point, you'd have to consider Rich Brooks a pretty good developer because he's going out there and finding guys that you know, don't have every offer that, uh, you know, that you're making some projections on that can help your team, some diamonds in the rough. And recruiting was much different back then, and you could find those guys. But, you know, for a guy like Mike Bellotti, it became a, a little bit more of a mix and match of, hey, 
you know, I still got to find some of these diamonds out there, these no offer guys, but you know, I can get a, a Cam Colvin or a Jonathan Stewart or a, or a highly ranked guy here and there and make our program better. But then you saw Chip come in, you know, with that offense, everybody was excited, you know, Oregon's going to the national championships, playing in Rose Bowls, winning, you know, 11, 11 win seasons. That was really what kind of pushed Oregon into that next kind of stratosphere. And I think that that ultimately, uh, I know there are a lot of folks that like uh, Mark Helfrich. I'm not anti-Mark Helfrich, but you go and and you bring somebody in like Mark Helfrich that that I think is a tremendous X's and O's guy, you know, great offensive mind, but recruiting in some of these areas weren't there. And you could see the drop off. We saw the classes drop into the to the low 20s, mid 20s, uh, low teens, you know, and, and you can. You can get by and win there, but it really it really makes it harder. Whereas now we see somebody like Mario Cristobal come in and in the couple of years absolutely just thrust Oregon recruiting into, honestly, nothing I ever thought was imaginable. I never thought Oregon football would be recruiting at this level they're currently recruiting at. Uh, but it, it just kind of shows, I think, you know, the biggest ingredient there, even for Mario Cristobal, you know, for him was probably twofold. A, it was winning. You start winning, people believe. Um, and B, it was hard work. Okay, so to me, the headline of that was you said, I I never believed Oregon could recruit at the level they're currently recruiting with Coach Cristobal. Why is that? Uh, it's just, uh, it's... Uh, you think back as good as Oregon was with Chip Kelly around, just winning games, blowing people out. Every offensive guy wanted to come to Oregon. Um, you know, defense was still a little suspect. It was good enough for them to win games, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an SEC style putting guys in the NFL continuously type of deal. So you kind of had an off balance there. And I, you know, to me, I thought this is going to be the apex of Oregon recruiting, which their best class, which was a one off. And it was only on one on rivals, I believe. One year, Oregon got as high as number nine on one site, which was rivals one year under Chip Kelly. And to me, I kind of thought, okay, look, you know, geography is always going to be a hurdle. Uh, you don't have fertile recruiting grounds in the state of Oregon. Your next best recruiting grounds is Northern California, which produces a couple of pretty good guys every year. Um, but then you've got to go into Southern California, which isn't that far, but – at that time, USC was still able to rest on its laurels, was still able to ride the Pete Carroll wave of winning. You had moms and dads and brothers and uncles that played at USC, grew up USC fans. I don't care if USC won six, seven, eight, nine games a year for a decade there. It was still USC, and they still had their pick of the litter. T. Martin was an incredible recruiter. They had some guys down there. They were going to get the first, the first wave of guys. And I really didn't think that that would ever change but we've seen basically usc going to a bit of a, a mark helfrich sort of a slump and i'm sorry mark i don't mean it negatorily but unfortunately they're in a, a mark helfrich ish level slump for long enough now and enough turnover from kiffin to sarkeesian to orgeron you know going to lsu to you know clay helton they have been so far removed from being highly successful that Oregon's been able to open that door and absolutely kick it down with Mario Cristobal 
basically just working his ass off. And, and, and I, I'm still, it's happened two years in a row that Oregon's landed the, the top player out of the state of California, Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo. It's been two years in a row, and I still to this day, just like many of my readers, have a tough time going in and saying, hey, Oregon's going to land a guy like Troy Franklin. Borderline five-star, mm-hmm. probably should be a five-star. We're talking he's only like two spots removed from being a five-star. And I'm not talking about his rating. I'm talking about his ranking. He's right there. And it still takes almost egregiously obvious evidence for me to think Oregon's going to beat out USC for this guy still to this day, and they're doing it. And now we're just seeing it on a bigger spectrum. Oregon's able to basically at will go in against USC or Washington or heck, even against some of the Alabamas for some of these guys and pull them away, and I'm abs- I'm floored. I'm floored because here we are talking about the Chip Kelly days. We're in 2020. We're basically talking about being six years removed from some glory days of Chip Kelly, six years removed, three coaches later, and this guy is just absolutely kicking ass into another level. So is it safe to say they might be punching above expectations? I, I fully believe so. I, I think – for me, the way that Mario Cristobal recruited his first class and his second class is kind of where I figured we'd be today. And, and, I, and there's no slight in that. We're talking about borderline fringe top 10 classes, better than top 15. You know, Oregon's coming off a, a, a four-win season uh, the last year of Mark Helfrich. You had uh, a little bit of, of, of positivity in the very brief Willie Taggart year. Uh, just kind of coming from that. But then again, you're on your third head coach in three years. And I felt, hey, Mario Cristobal was the right hire. I I love his energy. The players believe in him. But I felt he needed some seasoning. I felt he needed some time. And I think that's only fair to say. And for him to recruit that first year the way he did and then to absolutely kick it up another notch last year uh, in just an absolutely amazing class, and then to see what he's built this year, the fact that Oregon is going to end up, and I'll say this now, Oregon's going to end up turning away multiple full sh- four stars in this class because they simply will not have room. Wow. It's, wow. it's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's, it's honestly mind-blowing when you break it all down the way that, that, uh, that you've kind of led us into. Yeah, I, I know um, I was reading Scoop Duck boards the other day, and – I think it's a pretty good problem to have when all of a sudden you're doing scholarship math and people are figuring out, okay, who gets cut or who gets uh, medical reserved, right? Who, who gets the uh, medical waiver because you're just constantly churning in talent. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, let's face it, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, you know, Florida in the heyday, Florida State in the heyday, all of those programs processed players and you know i'm using the 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 term processed with quotation marks around it but let's just face it your football team is only as good as your weakest link that's the that's the end of the story if your scout team is better they're going to make your starters better it's all the way down it's a trickle effect and for a lot of players you know these these guys i don't you know if they're at oregon if they're at at a at a big time program these these football players you know, they have a certain type of mentality. They've been the alpha dog on their high school team. They've been the alpha dog probably on their seven-on-seven team. 
throughout their entire career, they've probably been the best or one of the two best players on their team. And then you end up at Oregon or somewhere else and you're lost in the shuffle. Maybe you're not working as hard. Maybe it's, maybe something's just not clicking. You're too far away from home. You've consistently got nagging injuries. I don't know. There's just so many things that go into it. And you know, the, the, the mental aspect of it when you're not the top dog and heck you might not even be, you know, on the second or, or, or your borderline third string guy, you know, do you hang around? Do you, do you kind of cling on to that? Do you go find a, maybe a spot where you might have a chance at playing and resurrecting your career a little bit? Uh, that happens. But for Mario Cristobal, you genuinely care about your players. You genuinely invest in your team on an individual basis. But ultimately at the end of the day, you've got to win or lose games. That's how you're going to keep your job. That's, there's nothing above that for Mario Cristobal. And you've got to win games if you want to remain the head coach at the University of Oregon, and he knows that. So you've got to look out for the best interest in the program. And, and if that's you know, the unfortunate side of maybe helping find a player or two, find a new home, or maybe helping them realize that, hey, dude, you've spent more time on the injury list than you've you know, spent on the, on the starting list or on the participation list. Let's call a spade a spade here. He absolutely has to look out for the best interest of the program above all because one player can negatively affect the other 84 uh, on his scholarship roster. So I know that's the unfortunate side, the, the kind of the ugly side of, of college football, but it exists. It exists for Mario Cristobal. It exists for Nick Saban. The transfer portal, I believe, is a blessing for a lot of those players to be able to continue their careers if they want to at another program and continue to get their education. Okay, now we, we, we've talked about the trajectory the Ducks are on, and I really think the takeaway so far has been uh, that line about the, the caliber of guys they're bringing in. You're still surprised that they can go out and get a borderline five-star like a Troy Franklin potentially, and I'm right there with you. I'm surprised by that as well. How does Mario um, – let me ask it this way. What's the most important factor – for Mario Cristobal maintaining this trajectory in recruiting? Uh, it's at this point now, with the way he's shown he's able to recruit and the way he's demanded his staff to recruit and the just the relentless effort they provide, it's, it's 100% an SEC-style approach in the Pac-12. I think that's what we see. He learned that at Alabama. You, you see Kirby Smart leave Alabama and go and take that blueprint to Georgia and up it there with – uh, an, an increased recruiting department, uh, increased resources, more analysts, more GAs. My point to that, as it relates to Oregon, you're not at Oregon ever going to have that Alabama or Georgia budget. You're not going to be able to employ 200 people in a recruiting department to help you recruit. It's just not feasible. It's not going to happen. I believe the next step now for Mario Cristobal, and it's very important. It's a very important step. The, the next step is as he showed last year, win football games. You got to win the big games. You got to beat Washington. You got to beat USC. You've got to compete for a, a conference championship. And you got to do your best to get into a New Year's Six bowl game or a, 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 a college football playoff game. That's the goal right there. You've got to keep the foot, you got to keep your foot on the gas. And that has to be the gold standard at this point. That has to be the floor. Secondly, and almost as importantly, 
you have to start developing this talent into NFL players. You have to get them into the early rounds of the NFL. You've got to get Panay Sewell into the NFL. You've got to get Javon Holland into the NFL. You've got to get these guys that you've gone and taken and brought in and, and a Mikel Wright, you know, is the future at Oregon and a Tyler Shuck, you're going to have to take and develop him at quarterback. You're going to have to start doing that year in and year out, putting these guys into the NFL. And ultimately if he could, I say this with the way that Mario Cristobal has amassed talent in the last two classes that have signed and this class that he currently is on a trajectory for if he can finish top 10 it might even get close to top five with the way things are looking here in june if he can finish out this class with those two classes you've amassed enough talent to even take a dip down if you had to and still be okay you've got enough talent for the next three or four years to survive it now becomes a challenge of winning games because you have a target on your back it now becomes a challenge of keeping those guys healthy, keeping them in school, keep, keeping them on the right track, and just reestablishing that culture. I think that's going to be another hard issue here. You lost a lot of key leaders. You lost a Justin Herbert, a quiet leader. You lost an offensive line group, Jake Hansen, Throckmorton, Lemieux. All those guys were leaders in the locker room. You left. You lost a guy like Troy Diet, linebacker, who was obviously the spiritual leader on defense, a very key piece. You've got to get this next wave this year to continue that and reinforce that. And then you've got to get, which, I mean, right now on paper, it looks like Oregon's going to have multiple early NFL draft picks coming into next year's draft. Javon yes. Holland, Panay yes. Sewell, Diamador Lenore, Thomas Graham. list goes on and on. You're talking about dudes ready to go. Then you got to get Kayvon Thibodeau ready. you got to get Mikhail Wright ready. You get all these guys in. I believe if Oregon can sign the class, they're on pace to sign in this class. You get these guys as, as early NFL draft picks. You win a lot of football games this year. Oregon is poised to become the clear and definitive team to beat in all ways in the Pac-12. I don't, be I do, I don't believe that even if USC makes a change and, and fires Clay Helton and brings in Urban Meyer, we'll just give them the pie in the sky that they bring in Urban Meyer. I think Mario Cristobal will have done enough damage at this point that he's still going to have his pick of the litter and USC is going to have to play catch up for a couple years in order to get back where Oregon has now established itself. Let's make another Alabama comparison because I, mm -hmm. I love when this happens. I see it too. I'm right there with you. Every year in the draft, the entire wideout room and defensive backfield – and offensive line and defensive line and quarterback room, all those Bama guys go to the NFL draft. They just empty the cupboard every year. All those juniors go to the draft. It's almost like a three-year program because yeah. they'll, they'll send all those guys to the NFL and then they bring in a bunch of guys you've never heard of and they still win and still kick ass every year. Uh, three-year program, is, is that a bit of a boogeyman for the Ducks or do you think they embrace that? Uh, you mean in terms of, of, of maybe having players come in for three years and then being churned out? Yeah, NFL. Yeah, no, uh, you know, you're going to 100% embrace that. And I think that now we have seen, you know, going back, we've seen that recruiting, that level of talent elevated that we are now, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm 
absolutely 100% resigned to the fact that Panay Sewell is going into the NFL draft after this year. Uh, I don't see any reason to return for a fourth year. He's going to be a three-and-out guy, and he's going to be arguably the first player taken in the NFL draft as a, as a left tackle. Mm-hmm. If you're bringing in those types of guys, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, for example, his first year at Oregon, he registers nine-and-a-half sacks for you. Uh, you're going to take that. You're going to take that, and now you are – if you're understanding that you're bringing in that type of talent, that level of talent, if you're understanding and really able to make those projections, you recruit around that. Just meaning, hey, look, I'm going to project this guy as uh, a developmental guy. You know, you're going to you're going to watch him grow. You're going to bring him in. You're going to understand that. Hey, look, I see this guy as a high three star, but he's six foot six, two hundred and fifty pounds. Ben, move, twitchy. Look, he's not going to be ready the first year, might not even be ready the second year, but we can get him, we can have him for five years, and those last two years are going to be big, and we're going to count on him. A guy like Mikel Wright, you recruit a guy like Mikel Wright, he shows up, and it's completely evident within the first practice or two at most. <laughs> we got a three-year player on our hands. And, and now you can recruit because you're a couple years out. You can recruit around that saying, hey, look, you know, this is the way this room is going to look in two years. We need to get these guys on the board. Um, as long as you're able to do that and project, if your numbers, and I'm, I'm talking about scholarship numbers, because again, you know, one of the things that was praised under Chip Kelly is, you know, when it came to recruiting, it was it was one guy out, one guy in. So if you had three linebackers going out in a year to graduation, NFL, whatever, you were recruiting three linebackers to come in behind them. If you did that consistently, it worked out. When you when you would miss in years, it would absolutely throw that sideways. And that's really a big problem that Oregon uh, faced between Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich in those, in those ages. If you're, if you're Mario Cristobal and you can keep this thing within, within a number or at worst two in the bigger groups and you're understanding that you don't have this huge fluctuation, which is what we saw when he first got here, he showed up, Oregon didn't have any wide receivers on the, on the roster or any quarterbacks and you're having to take two quarterbacks in a class, which now doesn't really work out in most cases. You you are having to take four or five wide receivers just to give yourself depth at that position, uh, which doesn't do you any favors. Now you're in a position where you can recruit two or three or maybe four, and, and you've got the bodies, and you and you bring them in and you put them out. So, again, if a couple of those guys happen to be the three-year projection types, uh, you're okay doing that because, like I said, I think in almost every case, those guys come in as true freshmen. I think I think uh, uh, Justin Flo shows up and they start practice in a couple weeks, and it's only going to take about sixty minutes of practice. And you know, Coach Cristobal is going to look at Coach Wilson and be like, "Okay, you need to recruit as if that guy's only here for three years." They're going to know. I mean, they're going to know. And that, and if that's the if that's the standard at which your your program is at, you're in some pretty doggone good shape at that point. Okay, let's take this back to one of the the themes I mentioned in the introduction of today's podcast. I love the Schadenfreude on Twitter of of Duck fan kind of enjoying the misery of Husky fan up north. It uh, seems like a whole lot of people up there are struggling with this idea that not only is Oregon beating them this off season in recruiting. Uh, they've passed them in recruiting over the last couple decades. How, where did Washington go wrong? Who? Uh, one of my biggest concerns 
with Chris Peterson when he arrived from Boise State is his recruiting. And I don't think that he's a bad recruiter or he's a lazy recruiter, but I think he made a Chip Kelly mistake when he showed up. And it was, hey, we're Washington. If we offer you, you should be bowing down to us and thankful that we offered you. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're winning and you're producing and you're at the top of the heap, you can get away with that. Uh, you know, Texas was able to do that for a number number of years in the state of Texas because almost any given class, you know, Texas would maybe reach out of state for two or three guys and that was it. Otherwise, they were doing all the recruiting in the state of Texas uh, as they should. They were able to pick and choose who they wanted to offer because they were winning. And even then, Mac Brown started losing and that went by the wayside. I think Chris Peterson did that at first at Washington, bringing some of that, hey, I've been at Boise State. I'm recruiting the guys that are going to be fringe Pac-12 guys, but top-end Mountain West guys, and I'm going to have my pick of those guys. And he did. He won a lot of games at Boise State. Chris Peterson's a tremendous coach, tremendous football coach, no question. But that type of recruiting got him in trouble early at Washington. I do think in his final year or two at Washington, he figured it out. That was only going to get him so far. It might get him a couple guys. Uh, maybe an Elijah Molden, maybe a Jalen McMillan. It might get you a couple of those elite guys, but overall it's not going to get you the type of class that keeps you at the top of the heap in the Pac-12. It just won't. Uh, and then Mario Cristobal came in and knocked the door down and, and really absolutely put the clamps and the pressure on Chris Peterson to change, which, uh, you know, if you're a guy, I don't know Chris Peterson's age. I'm guessing he's in his 50s or early 60s if I had to guess. And if, if you're at that point in your career and you've won so many games like he has and been to the big games, change is really hard. It's really hard for those alpha male types to make those changes at that point in their life. Mm -hmm. if, if any of us in here listening to this podcast have a, a grandma or a grandpa and they're in their 70s or 80s and you go in and you <laughs> tell grandma and grandpa that they need, need to change and text message on their phones right. and, and do all these things, right. they're going to look at you and be like, no. I'm not. Thanks, but good luck. You know, and that's we just expect it because that's the way it is. I think it's much the same there for Chris Peterson. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I, again, with what Chris Peterson did there, I think a lot of his success, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, a lot of his early success was based on a lot of really good Steve Sarkeesian players that I'll be honest, Chris Peterson would have never really recruited normally. And, and I think he inherited a fairly talented roster. I think he made them better, um, I, you know, and I think that's why he was successful in his first couple of years. Also coupled with the fact that that was the downturn of Oregon football as well. Uh, Stanford wasn't nearly as strong. You know, the Pac-12 was down a little bit, uh, especially the Pac-12 North in that window. But give Chris Peterson credit. He did a lot with some of those really good players, and he's an excellent football coach. He got forced to change. I think this last year really took a toll on him, thus the retirement, the sudden retirement, if you will. Right. I think I think the decision to have to change was going to be hard for him to swallow. I think the direction that recruiting's going and going to continue to go was probably really hard for him to, you know, want to buy into and, and change towards. And, you know, thus the torch was, was handed over to Jimmy Lake. Now, it's going to be really, really, really easy for me to pile on to Jimmy Lake at this point in time because, we, honestly, let's just call a spade a spade. Their right. recruiting sucks right now. Right. It's abysmal. 
it's terrible. And, and it's not just a, let's look at their ranking and make fun of them. It's a, gosh, let's project this thing out. It's all of the top guys that they were going after are going elsewhere, not even including Washington on their top four and fives, looking elsewhere. And I just fail to see an, a pulse for them on the recruiting trail, which is dangerous, which is very dangerous. I know a lot of recruiting followers made fun of me for using this word for a while and everyone's caught on to it but recruiting is all about momentum when you have momentum it becomes this snowball that just builds and builds if you have absolutely no momentum your hands get cold you can't form a snowball you can't even get this thing going down the hill and that's where washington is at right now they're having trouble getting this thing going down the hill and mario Cristobal is having trouble making sure his snowball doesn't get too big at the bottom of the hill right now. So pretty crazy to see where the two programs are at. Just to segue this, you have to look at what Clay Helton's done. And Clay Helton's been terrible at USC. He's done a lot of things really wrong. He has not done a good job of developing players. He has not done a good job of game management and winning games. But to his credit, as far as an off-season championship goes, he sucked at recruiting last year, just like Jimmy Lake has done this year. Mm-hmm. And he's made wholesale changes and has USC recruiting better. They are ahead of Oregon currently in the Pac-12 rankings. But, and I don't say this being a hober, there's no way I would trade the Oregon class for the USC class. They're, they're largely propped up by uh, two quarterbacks, which are heavily inflating their rankings. They're not going to keep both those guys. It's just not realistic. Uh, that's going to cause them to fall. They're losing out on a number of the top West Coast guys, which USC can recruit nationally a little bit and have success there, but they're losing out a lot on a lot of the top West Coast guys to Oregon. Mm-hmm. But give Clay Helton credit. He has made them better. They are better in recruiting. That's going to make them a better team. It might be a little too late. I don't know if they're going to be able to win enough football games this year to keep him employed. We'll have to see about that, but give him credit for at least making that change. And I do feel that change was going to be something that Chris Peterson was having a tough time swallowing. I like that concept of momentum, and I love that you tied it into USC because I was going to do the same thing. Uh, Kind of a different word, but the same idea, the way I would think about it, is you're building a brand. Like in in my industry, I run a radio station. You build the brand. You maintain that brand. You improve on that brand. And if you're in a market that does ratings – you see the payoff of that brand, you you see higher ratings, a bigger audience, and all of a sudden, you go from getting no clients, like like my little ho-dunk radio station in Medford, I've seen it firsthand, Uh, we launched one about seven years ago that I was involved with, no ratings when they launched, no clients when they launched, no, no advertisers basically, it's all a bunch of filler during your commercial breaks. And then once the first ratings book came out, we had a brand, we had numbers, boom. All of a sudden, we were getting calls from agencies and businesses that wanted to get involved because you build that momentum, like you said. Um, In recruiting, I think about USC, we've interviewed parents of players in that SoCal area that picked Oregon. And all of them, when you ask them, hey, why Oregon? They, They would tell us, 
why Oregon. They would tell us what the Ducks did right, but they also couldn't help but tell us what USC was doing wrong, right? It, it, right. It, it, they just didn't have that that brand that appealed to these players' families. And, and I think you have to consider that in college football. You're trying not just to pitch the player, trying to get that student athlete to come to your university. You're trying to pitch the family that this is the best place for them. Yeah, and, I'll, and I will uh, preface this. Uh, I started the juice, our Thursday, you know, weekly insider. I started that update before Mario Cristobal even got to Oregon. Mm-hmm. But you've heard Mario Cristobal say that, you know, you've got to have juice. Your, your, your program needs juice. And, and juice is, you know, that energy, that, that, that feel, that vibe. Just, and I think that something that's rang true in my dozen plus years of recruiting is that you can't fake that these kids show up on campus and they know they'll talk to players. They'll talk to other coaches. They'll talk to kids on campus. They will be there and visit and talk around. And you can, you just, you can feel that vibe. You can feel that juice. You can feel that energy. The minute you step on campus, the minute you're meeting with the coaches, and I believe that that's something that Oregon has had under Mario Cristobal is just, just that juice, just that energy, just, you know, you can, you can absolutely feel it. You can taste it. And that is sincerely, okay. You can do all these edits. You can text these kids every day and tell them how much you love them. You can do all that stuff, but you cannot fake that juice. You either have it or you don't. And the kids can feel it. They can 100% feel it. We've heard kids say countless times, I want to visit. I want to feel the vibe and see if it's a place I fit in and see if it's the right fit for me and see if it's a place that I could be at. And there's nothing that replicates that by just showing up and walking around the campus for a day. And I think that's been a huge reason of success for Oregon. And that was a massive failure for USC last year. I just Mm -hmm. countless times, I think recruits would go to USC and walk around and, you know, Clay Helton's on the hot seat. You know, you got, you got several coaches that are basically dead men walking. They knew it. Players knew it. Everybody knew it. You know, you, you weren't winning games. You had, uh, you know, fights in the locker room at halftime of games. You had all these things going there. You had no juice. You had you just you had nothing. Give Clay Helton credit. He's, he's expanded his recruiting offices. He hired Dante Williams. He hired, you know, Naviar. He hired Orlando. Some other coaches that do have a, a little bit of recruiting acumen with them. And, and I definitely think that that's helped them create some juice. But again, Mario Cristobal had this massive snowball already halfway down the hill, and Clay Helton's still forming his little snowball trying to get it going. So I, I just think that kind of shows you the differences. And a lot of times we look at this on, you know, we look at recruiting kind of through, you know, through a lens, through a straw on a very macro scale, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Okay, who's Oregon's latest commit? Where do they stand in the rankings? Well, all of that applies, and I understand we all have short attention spans, but if you really dial it back and just kind of look at that through this massive telescope and look back to two years ago, three years ago, and see just how much Oregon has outpaced Washington and USC on the recruiting trail, you really gain a true appreciation for what has gone on at Oregon and why we are where we are today, where we're talking about Oregon signing multiple five-stars potentially, um, where a guy like Troy Franklin is committing to Oregon over Washington and USC and Ohio state and Alabama and every school that he could possibly choose from in June. I mean, it's just an absolute crazy difference 
to think of where Oregon was just two, three, four short years ago uh, to where they are now and how they're really becoming, uh, you know, the, the, the gold standard of Pac-12. Right. Uh, one last question on recruiting, and then I've hit every note in my bullet points today. But uh, two years ago, the Ducks get Kayvon Thibodeau. A year ago, the Ducks, or I should say this year, the Ducks get Justin Flo and uh, Noah Sewell. Now, Troy Franklin. Mm-hmm. What's next for Oregon? Well, you know, I know I outlined this on the site in in the juice. Uh, you know, I did a finish line piece yesterday, which is me basically predicting who Oregon signs in 2021. And I just start going down, and I find myself – I know the fans do it on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis, you know, man crush on Mario, all that, mm-hmm. justified, totally justified, don't right. feel bad about it. Right. Uh, if you ha- if you have, like, a poster or picture up in your bedroom, you might want to seek help, but otherwise, <laughs> mo- most of your man crushes are probably justified. Yeah. I find myself, I found myself kind of going through that article, and I, I legitimately just did it position-by-position position basis, okay? Who do I feel like Oregon's got the realistic potential to sign here, 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 here? And I go through, and at the end of the list, I've got multiple five-stars on there. I've got Corey Foreman on the list. I've got JT Tumalo on the list, both five-stars, both out west. And you couple that with a guy like Troy Franklin, who I do consider a five-star. I mean, he's an elite player. Um, I think Bram Walden is a borderline five-star. I think he's right where Troy Franklin is. I know he's not there on the rankings, but I think when it's all said and done, that's a guy that's a borderline five-star. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at Oregon – being potentially in the mix, realistically in the mix, not just green and yellow Homer glasses for three, four, five stars in this class, which is unreal. That's Alabama. That's Clemson. That's Georgia levels of recruiting. And when you do that, when you do that coupled with what Oregon's done the last couple of years, you've pushed yourself so far ahead of everyone else in the PAC 12. And again, Oregon wants to compete for national championships. I don't debate that. But when you can get yourself out of your own conference, that's the first step every year. Get out of the conference and be the, the uh, uh, you know, be the, be the one from your conference. Be the representative. You are so far ahead of Washington and their talent level. You are so far ahead of USC and their talent level. And that's, you know, ASU, UCLA, you name it. You're so – it becomes – the margin of error for everybody else is so small. You've got to trust your research. You've got to trust that you're bringing in developmental guys. You've got to trust your instincts on guys because you're not getting the five and four stars. Oregon's taken them all. You're now resorted to either going back East and going for the leftovers from the SEC and ACC, mm-hmm. or you're taking more than likely you're taking guys that you might be competing with the, lower end of the Pac-12 or the upper end of the Mountain West four in the Western footprint. And even though Southern California supplies the West Coast with a lot of talent, okay, and then you pick up a few guys out of Arizona, you pick up a few guys out of Nevada, a few guys out of Hawaii, a few guys out of Washington, a few guys out of Utah, okay? But at the end of the day, there's only so much to go around even out of Southern California. You've now got to expand and, and, and go from New Mexico back east, And you mentioned the word branding uh, a little bit ago. Oregon has the brand to do that successfully. They can go back and recruit the four-star guys against Alabama. USC can do that on occasion, specifically on offense, specifically at cornerback, and specifically at wide receiver. 
they can do that. They can't do it across the board, but they could do it there. Oregon can do it across the board, any position, anywhere, and they're one of the only schools that can do that. Stanford can do that, but their recruiting room, their recruiting board is so much smaller because of their high academics. They have to be incredibly specific. So for Oregon, different bottle of wax. When you go and you take these top guys out west and then you go and pillage a couple of top guys from back east, as Oregon has done and will do again this year, you've made that talent gap so significant that it's really going to be really hard for the rest of these Pac-12 schools to catch up to Oregon. And that's why I say even USC, who's next, next closest in talent to Oregon, but even if USC does make a move with Clay Helton, which would be a very expensive move, and somehow lands the pie in the sky of Urban Meyer, which I still believe is a mythical unicorn for them. And you pull in Urban Meyer. He's still got so much work to do to make up on Oregon. I think Mario Cristobal is going to be able to keep his foot on, the, foot on his throat for a while and, and keep them down as long as he can continue to win football games and develop football players, uh, as I said, being the next steps. I, I, just, uh, I just think Oregon's poised to really take over the Pac-12 for the foreseeable future and, and really build – uh, another decade of dominance, if you will. Yeah. Hey, no, the proof is in the pudding. You've got uh, Penay, who might be the number one overall pick this year, and you got a guy who I've been banging the drum for for a few months now. I think he will be the number one overall pick the next year. That's Kayvon Thibodeau and a whole lot of talent in between. Um, we pretty much covered every question that I had for you, J-Hop. Uh, you got anything else you want to address this week? No, man. I, I think, uh, you know, again, everybody appreciate for, for being on the podcast. Um, you know, I know we didn't mention it specifically, but, uh, you know, we're recording this on a midday of a Thursday. You know, wide receiver Troy Franklin commits tomorrow on yeah. Friday. Yeah. Uh, certainly looking like it's in strong favor of the Ducks, but – Uh, The fun doesn't end there. You've got Jalen Davies, a four-star cornerback, uh, top 100 player out of California, committing next Friday uh, on the 19th. Uh, Looks again like Oregon's the team to beat. Uh, Four-star tight end Terrence Ferguson. uh, Hasn't set a specific date, but I have seen the 20th mentioned here and there as a potential date. So you're looking at three commits here in the next two weeks there. And then you've got four-star wide receiver Xavier Worthy on the 29th of June. So right now, as we sit today, uh, Thursday, it looks as though Oregon might pick up four commits uh, in the rest of the month of June. If you're listening to this and you're not a premium subscriber to Scoop Duck, I'm running a promotion right now. You can get three months for $20. It's billed up front. Or you can get six months for $40, also billed up front. And I know that people probably think, I don't want to sign up. It's June. There's no football. Well, here's the deal. You're three or four weeks away from June. Uh, from from July, from football kicking up. And Oregon recruiting is absolutely on fire right now. I would actually argue that there's no better time to, t- to sign up. And this will probably be one of our only two promotions this year. So I, I urge you listeners, if you're listening to this, you like some of the information, come and read it firsthand. Come and read it days before this podcast comes out. Come enjoy it for yourself. Uh, interact with Matt and I on the site. And we do appreciate your guys' support. Um, check it out now. The promotion ends on Tuesday. The end of business on Tuesday will be the last day you can get those promotions. And you're not just scooping days before the pod. You're scooping sometimes weeks or months before the other guys. I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, n- not to toot the, to the own, my own horn too much, but the Troy Franklin news, I mean, we teased that Saturday morning. 
you know, that, hey, this thing was coming up, I, you know, nobody else really mentioned it the whole time and, and kind of caught wind of it, I believe, yesterday or later on Tuesday of what we posted on Saturday. And I mean, I didn't pull any punches. I put some I put some big news was coming. And, uh, you know, like I said, Troy Franklin's a borderline five star. That's a receiver that most years just walks walks on campus at USC and says, I want to be a Trojan. Right. And in Oregon has been able to beat out USC and everybody else having three wide receiver coaches in three years, having a new offensive coordinator that hasn't called a game and Oregon's able to pull in that kind of talent in June. It's, it's truly a special time to be a duck fan and really see this recruiting class unfold because I think we are witnessing, we are witnessing what's going to be the building blocks of a national championship for Oregon football. Ooh, ooh, that is a great note to leave this on. We're seeing the building blocks of a national championship for Oregon football. Scoop, duck, and hi-fi. My name is Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. I'll repeat what he just asked you there. Consider a premium subscription to scoopduck.com. It's well worth the money. Scoopduck.com. They're doing uh, a, a promotion through next Tuesday. That would be the... 16th right uh yes i believe so okay yeah yeah june 16th so keep that date in the calendar uh we're scoop duck and hi-fi we're on scoopduck.com we're also anywhere you want to listen to your podcasts if you'd rather have us on mobile try apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher tune in spotify etc we're there i know we're there um have a great week everybody and go ducks